Hey everyone, this is the first episode of the Carnivore Roundtable. We have a group of individuals here, all from Canada, who have been exploring animal-based nutrition and the carnivore diet to varying degrees over the years. All of our different stories and experiences stem from various health issues and struggles, as well as the journey for optimizing our health. We are from various paths of uh, walks of life, from medicine to nutrition to uh, just regular people. So we're here to share our experiences with you. Um, none of this is medical advice. So please take this uh, all with a grain of salt and enjoy the show. Okay, so um, I'll start. My name is Kate Mitzi. I'm a nutritionist uh, just outside of Toronto, Ontario, Canada. I uh, work out of a clinic and also virtually offering lots of support to patients of varying diets. And I myself have had experience with two different autoimmune diseases um, and a health history that is varied as well as chasing a hundred different diets, um, leading me primarily to animal-based nutrition. Okay, I'll go next. My name is Alicia. You can find me on Instagram at FatFueled. I have been following an animal-based diet for the past year um, and have been low-carb for the past three or so. And um, I'm just doing this for general health, feeling a lot better eating this way and uh, plan to share my story and hopefully inspire some others as well. That's awesome. So we're, uh, we're the meters. I'm Petra. I'm Daniel. And uh, yeah, we just also just always been looking for the right diet um, on a con con countless pursuit to find what was the, the way of eating that worked for us. Uh, we went from everything to trying vegan, uh, to trying all sorts of diets until finally we came across the, uh, this particular carnivore diet, focusing on animal meats and fats. Um, we always wanted to feel healthy. It was always one of our highest values to sort of look to see what was the, the best way for us to optimize our diet. And uh, never really necessarily foodies, but we did have to give up a lot of addictions that we found that were accumulating over time. And um, what else would you say? Yeah, I would say we, we thought we ate fairly healthy um, at home. We never had a lot of junk food in the kitchen. Uh, we had a lot of potatoes, pasta, kind of like a lot of Italian food, what some would call the Mediterranean diet. Um, a lot of skinless chicken breasts. And a lot of desserts too. We had a sweet tooth, which now that I think back, it might've been a little bit of a sugar addiction. Um, I always needed something sweet after a meal. Um, but really for us, everything changed. Um, for me personally, I um, started losing my hair. So that's, that was like the first time for me that something needed to happen and we became more mindful of input and output. So like what you put inside your body and how your health reacts. So that was kind of the, the beginning of the journey for us. Cool. All right, I guess I'll go next. Um, so my name is Vajit. I am a Canadian trained MD and a fellow trained radiologist. So um, just going from that, I'll do a little disclaimer kind of for all of us. So, um, you know, even though I'm an MD, Kate has a clinical background, like none of this stuff should be taken as medical advice. So like our, the content of our podcast is not intended to be medical advice for any particular individual. And what we're sort of saying is based on um, our own personal experience, experimentation, our learning. I mean, a lot of this stuff I learned completely outside of med school and residency. 
So, you know, if any of our um, listeners want to try anything suggested in our podcast, just remember you're doing that, you know, at your own risk, at your own peril. I mean, it's your body, your food. We're not, you know, shoving the fork in your mouth or slapping any food out of your mouth. Um, but, you know, we just hope we, we can add to your lives with our experiences. And if you're going to try any of this stuff, I would suggest you uh, consult with uh, your MD or, an, or another clinician um, for any potential contraindications to eating this way. So my story, I mean, we'll get into it a bit later, I guess, but I'm very passionate about disease prevention. I see it all the time on my CT scans and MRIs, just people in all states of disease. And it's very clear to me that a lot of chronic disease is diet related. So I'm big on using nutrition to optimize uh, human health, body composition and performance. And I've, I've struggled with that myself over my life. Like, you know, I was borderline obese at one point. I've had difficulty putting on muscle. My cholesterol spiked at some point. I've always had sort of chronic fatigue, daytime drowsiness. So I really wanted to use diet to fix all that as opposed to pills like statins. So, you know, I like Kate, I kind of tried every single diet out there. I spun my wheels for many years, got kind of suckered in with weird diets and things I read online. And nothing really worked until I found uh, the evidence-based bodybuilding community. And so what I do now is I take the framework that I've learned from them, like what the meta-analytic data looks like, and try to fit, you know, different diets that might work better for me into that framework, and then use sort of self-experimentation, like you guys were talking about, like changing your inputs and your outputs to try to, you know, feel better, you know, maybe have a better body, improve some health conditions, and uh, that's how I kind of came upon the carnivore diet. I've been doing that since January 10th. Um, and uh, yeah, a lot of those things have been improved. Uh, my sweet tooth that I've had my whole life is now cured. It's like my brain's rewired and I'm a different man now because of this diet. But um, we'll talk about that later. But that's basically my story to date. That's great. Um, that's great. So we'll get into all of our, our more personal stories and, and unfold those for you guys as the podcast goes on, because there's some really interesting bits and pieces that each of us can share about our journey so far, uh, specifically related to certain conditions that have been um, reversed or symptoms have been greatly reduced. Um, but we do have a few questions that some uh, viewers and followers of uh, our various um, hosts and uh, have provided. And the first question is to really explain what the carnivore diet is all about. What does it consist of? What does it leave out? And uh, what does it look like? And I think, Wajid, we're going to let you um, answer that one first. Yeah, sure. Okay, so um, just starting very basically, like, what is a carnivore diet? I mean, it's an all-animal product diet. This is a very basic definition. No plant products. Honey is questionable. Some people debate about that because it comes from bees. Um, typically, people recommend eating, like, a nose-to-tail approach. So you're eating not only, like, muscle meat, fatty meats. You're eating, like, all the different organs, marrow, bone broth, you know, egg yolks. And then... You know, then the sort of gray area is dairy and eggs. So, I mean, obviously they're animal products too, but some people are sensitive to it. Like I've discovered because of this diet that dairy is a sensitivity of mine, so I don't eat it. But that's kind of the basic definition of it. And I guess people want to know, you know, why you would, you know, ever eat this way. So um, I guess before I do that, I mean, did you guys want to add anything to the def basic definition of what a carnivore diet is? That sounds pretty good. Yeah. Nailed that right on the head. Yeah. All right. Okay. So then I'll, I'll cover why to eat this way. So there's a few different ways to look at it. And I think the most utilitarian way to look at it is as an elimination diet. So you're basically 
getting rid of all the potential culprits in your diet that may have been causing you various issues over your life. Um, and you would know that best for yourself. And that way it gives you a baseline where you actually feel normal, maybe for the first time in your life. Like I know for me, this diet, I never felt this way before. And I didn't know it was even possible to feel this way because I guess feeling kind of low grade crappy was just my normal before. So that's it kind of gives you a reset. And then if you want, you can like reintroduce various foods one at a time to kind of see like, does it set off a symptom? Does it make you feel worse? Can you still eat it? Um, and I guess the other ways to look at this diet is from like a, a nutrition perspective. So um, animal products, I mean, from what I've been reading, what I've been learning lately is that all the essential vitamins and minerals that we need, even vitamin C can be found in animal products. And often the most bioavailable form is the animal form of that uh, vitamin or mineral. And then the issues with plants are that sometimes, you know, they contain less of those vitamins and minerals. They're less bioavailable. There can be anti-nutrients that prevent absorption of other things that you need from your other foods. And then some of these, uh, sorry, plant products can trigger reactions. I mean, like dairy and eggs can too, but there are many plant products that can also trigger reactions in, in people. So that it brings to question, like, why even consume plant foods anyway, if there really isn't any benefit or if it just, it's kind of a wash at the end of the day. Um, and so after nutrition, you can look at like anthropology. I mean, paleo diets, ancestral diets, they look at this stuff. So um, I'm currently going through the book, uh, The Carnivore Code by Paul Saladino, and I just finished that section and it's, it's super compelling, like why we should be eating mostly or all meat um, for, optimal, for optimal diet, just based on the anthropology. Um, and then lastly, I mean, this is a whole other podcast in and of itself, but the ethical argument, I mean, depending on how you look at it, you could even say that a carnivore diet is potentially more ethical um, in terms of the sheer number of animals that are killed, um, you know, all throughout the ecosystem versus like a vegan diet per se. And then the economic and environmental impact from that may actually also be better if people ate this way, but that's a whole other thing. So I won't get too much into that. I think that could be another episode in entirety. So we'll, we'll, we'll pack that away for then. <laughs> oh Does anyone have anything to add to that? Like, I think that was such a great, well-rounded answer, um, really sort of describing what the carnivore diet is and, and some of the reasons why one would think about um, taking it on. But do you guys have anything to add there? Yeah. So um just personally, when we first started the carnivore diet, we did it very strict. I think there's like many different variations of the carnivore diet, just like there's dirty keto and clean keto or like raw vegan and uh, vegan junk food. You could do a pretty dirty carnivore as well. Um, we we were pretty strict with it. We tried dairy. The, the topic of dairy is pretty interesting. We were kind of like a trial experiment on ourselves. Um, we had dairy after three months of no dairy on the carnivore diet. We had A1, A2, raw, um, so unpasteurized dairy. And after a few weeks, like we were so inflamed. I would literally have, I, I remember one day I had raw A2 sheep cheese and I looked like I was four months pregnant. And if you eat this way, you know that that's not normal. On the standard American or standard Canadian diet, that's the norm. It's almost funny. Like, who can look more bloated, right? But um, <laughs> with this way of eating, you know something's up. And I think that's when we stopped eating dairy. And uh, we found out some pretty interesting information. Um, not sure if you guys have heard of Sophia Clemens from Paleo Medicina or Medicina. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. 
but um, their research shows that dairy consumption after uh, breastfeeding, the breastfeeding period of your life, it uh, has a pretty serious health implication. So you could uh, be more susceptible to different types of cancers, um, uh, respiratory diseases, asthma. We, we can link the full study below, but it's pretty fascinating. And every podcast that we listen with Sophia, uh, with Sophia she's always saying like, no, no dairy, no dairy, cut it out. Doesn't matter, A1, A2. And Paul Saladino said some of the same things. He said he tried A2 and within four days, his eczema came back. So it's a definitely everyone reacts differently, but for us, like we don't, we can't tolerate it. Yeah. And the only thing that I would add is I think it's very important the word when I heard uh, elimination diet and to, to piggyback on what um, Aji was talking about. Um, the whole concept of eliminating everything and then from there as your baseline to then start reintroducing things. I mean, if we didn't do the elimination diet, yeah. we would have no idea what the dairy was doing to us because everything's so normalized. So the second you start to eliminate everything, you start re reintroducing them. I feel like that is the only way that we can truly see how we feel and um, not be blinded by, um, you know, the standard American diet where it's just like every meal we eat, you're always bloated, you're always tired, you're always groggy after. Um, until you start reintroducing things, you can truly tell, like, based yeah. off the elimination diet, what works for you and what doesn't. I, I used to tell people I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm seven months pregnant with a food baby on the standard <laughs> diet, but like I, that never happens to me now, even after like a big ribeye. Yeah. For sure, yeah. yeah no, it's, it's so interesting how we normalize these things, right? The bloating and just feeling inflamed, our joints hurting. A lot of people just say, oh, you know, I'm just getting older. That's how it is. And I'm like, no, like you might want to consider looking at your diet. Um, like, no, you're 32. <laughs> Another yeah. carnivore just appeared, I guess. Yeah, yeah, my cats are both uh, raw fed. <laughs> Yeah, I, I completely agree with everything that you guys said. And I do think it's important because um, I think that I'm probably the, well, actually, Alicia, I think you are too, um, a little looser with what we include. Like we're not strict, strict carnivore anymore, although um, I believe we both have been at points. Uh, I think it's really important for anyone that's watching this and considering whether they might um, embark on a carnivore diet, that it doesn't have to necessarily be permanent um, depending on your goals, concerns, health history, and um, you know, a whole bunch of other things that you would want to consider. This might be just an elimination diet for you to sort of understand like what sort of allergens or intolerances you might have um, to overcome addiction. It's a really great treatment for, I should be careful about that word, but um, it's a really great intervention for uh, food addiction, uh, especially carb and sugar addiction, which is rampant um, across the globe. And for some people, it makes sense to stay eating this way for years upon years, if not forever. And for others, they find that small amounts of plant food or non-animal-based foods serve them quite well and they can tolerate them and, and thrive. Uh, so it doesn't have to be all or nothing. Um, this doesn't have to be a really super dogmatic approach. Um, and I think it's really important that for those of you that are considering this diet, that you come into it knowing that there's actually quite a wide range of um, uh, places for you to fit in uh, on an animal-based journey.
Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't have said it better myself. That's a really great synopsis of all of that for sure. Yeah. For me personally, to, to your point, I mean, I've definitely been strict carnivore before. I'm a little more loosey goosey with it now. And I'm, I'm, I'm grateful that I don't have a lot of these food sensitivities that other people do. So it allows me some flexibility within my diet, um, which is why I would consider myself more animal based rather than carnivore. Just knowing that, you know, let's say 80% of what I'm eating is meat with the the odd, you know, thing here and there to, to complement the meal as a whole. Yeah, we're not we're not a cult. It's not like you get kicked out and lose your carnivore card if you have a vegetable or something, right? So no. exactly. <laughs> okay, well, why don't we each take a turn talking about our story in depth? Um, we won't go at, uh, on forever, just so that um, this episode doesn't end up being ours, because I think we could all probably talk for quite a while about our own personal journeys. But let's each just dig a little bit deeper so that for those who are watching, um, there might be something that someone can grab onto that they might relate to or ha have a resonance with. Um, and especially if you have any condition-related uh, reversals or symptom decreasing through your animal-based approaches so that people that might be struggling with the same things could potentially try this on for size. Sure. Awesome. Okay. Well, I'll tackle this one first. So like many people, I'm sure I grew up eating simple but good food, a lot of meat and potatoes type thing. Um, but eventually I kind of felt the societal pressure to look a certain way and it caused me to look at other diet options. And I tried most things under the sun, you know, general calorie restriction, the cabbage soup diet, that cayenne, lemon, fast thing, whatever that was. Um, but they were always short-term fixes that left me feeling terrible. Um, I first heard of low-carb diets back in, I think, 2011, but at the time, there were so few resources about them that I ended up only being on it for about a week. I had no idea what I was really doing. Um, it wasn't until 2017, that I was reintroduced to low-carb diets by my parents, actually, who told me about um, that Real Meal Revolution book about the Banting diet. And um, at the time, I was feeling pretty crappy about myself. I had put on some weight. And so I was all ears. I was like, okay, let's do that. So um, while my initial draw to the low-carb diet was more aesthetic-based, I wanted to drop the 30 pounds that I had put on, um, I soon realized that there was a whole slew of other benefits that come from low-carb diets. So um, for me, that was a lot more energy, mental clarity, and mood support. Um, I had struggled with depression for almost my entire life, and I was on and off medication for it for over 10 years. And so being able to stop taking it, and regulate my mood through diet alone was incredibly liberating. Um, in terms of the diet itself, I've done a lot of experimentation within the realm of low carb. When I first started out, it was a lot of big salads and vegetables. I had uh, you know, keto treats, a lot of sweeteners and everything. Um, and then I took a couple months of low protein or really high fat, but no sweeteners and just, you know, doing a little bit of experimenting to find out what worked best for me. And then eventually, after talking to a couple people and hearing um, on the podcast about this carnivore diet, I was like, okay, color me curious, let's try it out. So it started as a 30 day experiment. Um, and it never ended. And here I am now about a year later. <laughs> I loved it so much. All right, so let's hear from Petra and Dan. Let's talk about your story. Okay, so I guess I mentioned briefly um, at the beginning of this video that my 
scare came when I started to lose my hair. So I think that was in about 2017, I was losing my hair, I had really long hair. Um, and I would just find hair everywhere. So my first thought was uh, that I needed to quit smoking. I had been smoking cigarettes for 10 years and um, it was time. I was quite a big smoker. I'd say like a pack every two days. And so I quit smoking and then Daniel and I, we also quit drinking. We were just drinking occasionally like at social events with our friends, but I was desperate to uh, I guess, find out what was going on with my hair. And if I would stop these things, if it would grow back, it didn't. But I also let go of a couple of addictions, which was great. But fast forward to um, 2019, March, we actually hung out with Danny's sister, Christina, and she had been on the carnivore diet at that point for, uh, it was a full month, actually, it's a great full month. And she looked amazing phenomenal. I'd never seen her look like that. Her body composition was amazing. She was glowing, high energy. And she started telling us about this diet. And I was honestly shocked. I was disturbed. I couldn't understand how somebody could only eat meat. And also it was like a little bit of a jab to my ego because here I thought I was this healthy person for years. I always thought that I knew what healthy was and I thought to myself, why don't I look like that? Why do I feel bloated? But I'm eating, I'm here eating salads every day and she's eating meat. Like I don't understand. And it was, it was a four hour long conversation and it broke me down completely. I was so confused. I didn't know uh, what plant toxins were, anti-nutrients. I'm like, why have I never heard of these things before? And just a little background story. Christina is, um, She's in a relationship with Adam, and Adam is uh, a nutrition student. He just graduated from uh, Ryerson. So they both went into this having done a lot of research. And um, I guess when she told us this information, I received it very well. Like we, we trusted them, right? It wasn't just like blindly trusting uh, Danny's sister. They had some solid information to back up their claims. So, um, Basically, that was March 31st, and that day completely shattered my entire world, my worldview. Everything I knew was just crushed, and I knew that the next day I would start my 30-day challenge. Um, I had the intention to just do 30 days, and then I was going to transition to keto, but I kind of put that thought to the side, and I said, I'll deal with that and whatever that means towards the end of the month. Um, so for me, the first two weeks were brutal. I had a hard time eating red meat. Um, I didn't know how to cook it. I was nauseous. Um, I'd wake up feeling like throwing up. I was avoiding fat. Um, but after that, in the third week, it was like a switch just came on and I've had this sudden craving for red meat, uh, for fat. It was insane. I had like this mental clarity. I remember driving and just thinking, oh my God, like this is what it's like to be present in the moment. And it was like this uh, fog had been lifted. And I didn't even know that I had that issue before. Like you, you don't know until you experience something else, until you have something better to compare it to, right? Like we always wanted to be healthy, but if you don't have any, like a, a standard to compare that to, then what are you even aiming at, right? So um, in terms of the carnivore diet, I completed the 30 days we completed 30 days. 
towards the 30 days, I kept trying to look for uh, plants that had the lowest amount of oxalates, anti-nutrients, so that I could transition. But the research was so overwhelming, and I thought, I feel so great eating meat. Why even try to complicate it? complicate things. I had all these lists of vegetables. I'm like, screw this. I'm just going to continue. And that's what we've done. I've, um, like I, I mentioned the hair loss was a big issue within three months. My hair has started growing like weeds. It, it just won't stop. I keep trimming it so that it evens out, but it's a poofy mess, but I'm so happy. Um, I used to have these like dry, um, scabs on my on my scalp since about 2012 so I could literally like pick scabs off and they would bleed now I don't have that anymore I will have some dry patches on my scalp but not like you can't pick it up it's like dandruff but that's when it's really cold out and another thing is I used to have acne all over my neck and around my ears within the last two years that started happening that's gone I don't have a single uh, pimple on my neck. I get acne now when it's that time of the month or if I eat dairy or something that uh, my body doesn't react with, well with like pork, but I will not give up pork. <laughs> I love pork. <laughs> but uh, I do I do see like little red bumps when I eat pork. Um, but other than that, feeling great, feeling amazing. It's truly been a life changer and um, it's been a learning experience as well. Watching Daniel cheat on this diet has been tremendous. I didn't have to cheat. I just watched Daniel and he'll tell you about it. Um, eating cheese has been pretty uh, eye-opening. I think cheese for me, it messed up my hunger cues. It made me crave a lot of other things that I really didn't need. And um, we also introduced some alcohol in social settings and that didn't work out so well for us. Um, but the main thing that keeps me going on this diet is understanding my why. Like, why am I doing this diet? And the reason is I value my health. Um, it's one of my values. And in order to promote that value, I'm going to continue doing research on this diet and um, not only look for information that goes along with what I want to believe, but also look at conflicting information so that I'm always up to date. Awesome. Cool. And yeah, just so uh, to really summarize, I guess the most important thing that I wanted to emphasize in terms of my experience would be first topic was mindset, right? You, you really do have to understand the mindset that, was, uh, that we had prior to the diet and the mindset that we have now. Um, I do truly feel like a completely different person by what we eat. It's uh, shocking to, to look back at myself and see photos of me back in 2016 and be like, I don't even know who that guy is anymore because so much has changed with this diet that I'm truly grateful. And uh, truly grateful that that day, my sister, Christina and Adam, had shown me this diet. It's completely changed our lives. It's helped us tremendously, but mindset is everything. You guys need to be open. If anyone's ever wanting to try something, I feel like that's the very first hurdle. Like if you're not open, it's, it's very difficult to really give something to stop. And what I really liked about what Christina said to us that day, she says, well, I can't tell you anything, but try it for 30 days for yourself. And I think that was one of the most powerful lines that I've ever heard because until we tried it for 30 days, I mean, there's really nothing much to say until that, that experience that you, you have, right? So for me, it was, um, I actually had a couple more health issues uh, than Petra actually. And now looking back at it, I'm starting to think that it was all related to my diet now that they've all been reversed. Um, so the first thing that I would say is that I was literally like, my nose was running every single minute of the hour. 
Um, you could have called me paper tissue boy because all I had was paper tissues around me at all times. Um, it was so bad to the point where it was just embarrassing because a lot of the time it seemed like I was just always sick and I had to constantly excuse myself. No, guys, don't worry. It's just allergies. It's allergies and whatnot, right? Um, looking back at it now, after my 30 days of just pure eliminating all the stuff that was probably making me sick, um, call it seasonal allergies, maybe it's food allergies, we don't know, but all reversed, completely gone, no more sneezing, no more running nose. Um, there's some really interesting stuff with nutrition with Judy. She has a couple of videos uh, claiming that the diet does have direct correlation with seasonal allergies. Yeah. And if you don't, um, we'll link the, the video in description, but I was seeing that video after I had already gone through the results. So seeing her so confident saying, hey guys, eliminate these few plant toxins and I guarantee you that next year's seasonal allergies won't be as bad. Um, I can attest to that because yeah. that's literally what happened from not a year after, but like 30 days in of strict carnivore. So um, the interesting part now that I think about it, when I did my DNA test, um, some, there were some variants coming up that I was celiac. This is another thing that I had no idea of. So it could have been that all these time that I was having all these carbs were actually causing me to have my nose running, all these allergic reactions that then also led to my asthma. So I've had more or less about three to four puffers steady using on my asthma for like the last, I would say like 10 years. Um, this is another shocking part, all reversed. Um, I completely threw them out. There's no use of them. I would have so many breathing and respiratory issues at night. Um, I do I, I'm pretty sure looking at it now, it was all food related. Um, the times that they were worse was right after a meal. I could literally feel my throat closing up to the point where I couldn't breathe. Um, after you cheat. Yeah. 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 And then um, just fast forward later, the, when we'll get to the cheating, but when the cheating was reintroduced back, boy, was it funny to see all those symptoms come back right like, with it. Right? Within minutes. Within, yeah. within minutes. Within minutes. So that was another thing that we'll talk about later on, but we kind of all needed to go through that stuff and, you know, see all that to reinforce why, like Petra is saying, what is our why? And it's like, well, not to feel like that. that that's particularly why. But long story short, um, so there was a lot of uh, issues of allergies, asthma, and sleep apnea, all reversed with this diet within 30 days. Um, I was, I would say, overweight around 2016, 2015. I had introduced fasting um, to get basically to a body type that I would call skinny fat around 2019 to now just very lean and very cut and so grateful for this way of eating because I've, I've been through three different phases of body weight and seeing myself transform and how I feel. So um, aside from just reversing those issues that I had, the weight loss and um, just not being able to fit into any of my clothes because the inches on my waist just have tremendously gone down. Um, there's been so much mental clarity, so much vitality, so much love just to be up. Every day I wake up and I'm happy to be here. And I can't describe how different that was when I was eating the standard American diet. Because when I used to wake up, I don't know about anyone else, but I used to wake up groggy. Um, I'd be up for the first two hours, but was I really up? Probably not. I was still somehow a zombie sleeping. I mean, I would have to snooze the alarm 20 times to get up. Now, 7 a.m., naturally, I'm up. And these are the things that truly shocked my core when I started to experience them. But we'll, we'll dive a little bit more into like a, a couple other key findings. But for the most part, I would say that those were the very the biggest signs that I saw with the improvements of my lifestyle, the second that I chose to start eliminating things that were making me sick. Correct right, me if I'm wrong. Sorry. Oh, sorry. I was going to just uh, introduce I just a, you. 
Sorry, um, didn't mean to interrupt, but I, correct me if I'm wrong. You guys were vegan before, right? Or yes, yeah, yeah. We actually forgot to mention that we did uh, in 2017. We were vegan for two months. Uh, we actually talked about that recently. Like, why did we? Why did we do that? Why? What prompted us to go vegan? And it was um, we watched a documentary on Netflix. What the hell? What the health? And it really, it was for ethical reasons. We felt really bad for the animals, but now knowing what we know there's there's many more benefits to eating animal-based food than just to do it for the ethical reasons of veganism which there, that's a whole nother podcast i think in itself and just to add on that um it was also very curious to see our mindset um even after we stopped vegan i mean we were still like 80 yeah. percent plant-based like the meals that we were eating were just pure plant proteins carbs call it the potato the starch the italian uh cuisine but it was always this emphasis, like, we must always be plant-based. This is what clean eating looks like. At yeah. home, we're going to make wholesome salads. Um, so it's kind of like we may have not gone completely vegan after the two months, I believe, that we stopped. But there was still this, the morals and the values of the vegan concept of having plant proteins, consistently having salads is healthy for yeah. you. This is all we knew and this is all we ate. We, we, I think we still saw meat as bad, like not healthy, not good. We opted for uh, vegan restaurants when we could. And um, yeah, I was actually thinking the other day, what were we eating uh, around January of last year? And a typical meal was, I, my, my specialty, uh, chicken schnitzel, so like breaded chicken, deep fried in vegetable oil. Like what? It's just my God. We'll, we'll get into the vegetable oils at a later <laughs> yeah, time. But, but, yeah. 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 So we flip flop between like, oh, let's go like eat vegan and then let's go to McDonald's. So we were, we were, we had a balanced diet. I think that's what they call it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Healthy during the week, eating like crap. Yes. <laughs> yeah. That was us. <laughs> but we learned a lot. Thank you. Okay. Uh, uh, Wajid, let's hear from you. Okay. Um, so yeah, my name is Vajid. I know it's, it's hard to pronounce. It's like saying, watch it with a V. No, no, no worries. It, it happens. It happens. Um, I'm used to explaining that to people, but yeah. So I guess I'll start out my story just as a kid, like what my background was growing up. Like my parents were, were great, you know, um, not super into fitness or nutrition, but my diet was like you guys said, was, you know, very balanced. You know, there was a mix of lots of things, pretty rice heavy, lots of vegetables, enough meat. But I think the thing was, there was no real cap on, on junk food for me. So, you know, I would eat a lot of cereal, a lot of milk, um, you know, whatever treats. I have a huge sweet tooth. Like even up till 2019, I used to want to eat ice cream every night before bed. Like that was my thing that I needed to do and look forward to every day. So I was the kind of kid that would eat the entire row of cookies out of the cookie bag in one, in one sitting, one serving. So growing up, you know, I developed some problems. I was just always skinny fat really good at school, but like not so much at athletics. Um, I always struggled with sort of fat loss, building muscle as I became an adult. And then the one thing that's been really strange about my health since I was a kid was I've always had this inexplicable scalp itch. And it was like, not just like a minor itch, it was like infuriating and maddening. And, and like Petra, I used to like scratch to the point that like it would bleed and scabs would develop. It was like, and there was like horrible dandruff that went with it. So you know, I saw my pediatrician, saw my derma a dermatologist I was referred to, and they just said it was dandruff. They kind of blew it off. And uh, I tried all the typical, you know, remedies, head and shoulders, salsa blue, whatever all those shampoos are, tea tree oil. 
Um, nothing, I mean, the flakes improved a little bit and eventually I grew out of that, I guess, but, um, the, the itch never went away, like ever, um, to like almost to date, um, uh, right up to the end of 2019, that itch never really went away. So that was kind of peculiar. And then as an adult, I started to develop problems with like daytime drowsiness, chronic fatigue, um, kind of like Dan, and that just got worse with time. And I just chalked it up to me being in school, being on call. I just thought that was, you know, part of the job description. So um, didn't make too much of it then until I finished doing a lot of that shift work. Um, so as I got older, um, you know, I finished med school and I tell people, you know, med school made me fat. Um, I was on call a lot, um, stressed out. There were free foods at rounds and it was a lot of like pasta, like fettuccine Alfredo. Um, the nurses would bake cupcakes for us to eat overnight. We go to Tim Hortons. I have like the Telestrudel. So I was pretty overweight at graduation. And I, it was at that point, uh, I was 26. I decided I'm going to start working out regularly. So I started lifting weights then. Um, fast forward a few years, age 30, uh, I was borderline obese and my cholesterol started to go up. And my, uh, I still remember like the exact look on his face. My family doctor handed me a script for a statin, just like didn't even talk to me about lifestyle or diet or anything like that. And I just said, you know, hold up, buddy. Like, I don't want that prescription. I don't want to do this with statins. I mean, it's a lifestyle related problem. I'm going to fix it with lifestyle. Um, so, and then shortly thereafter, I was actually diagnosed with obstructive sleep apnea. And uh, I was kind of surprised at that actually, but um, you know, that that's what the test showed. Um, so I set off on this mission to use whatever was out there to fix my body. And I unfortunately got fooled a lot by like a lot of people, like you guys were talking about the lemon juice diet and all these cleanses and stuff. Like I fell prey to a lot of sort of um, bro science, I'll call like articles and forums and videos that I saw that, you know, maybe spin my wheels for several years. Didn't really have a lot of success with much. Um, I did discover sort of intermittent fasting uh, from Martin Birkin. It's the whole lean gains thing. And I lost about 10 pounds on that, but then plateaued. And, you know, still hunger was an issue. Like I've always had this like ravenous hunger all the time. Um, I did keto to some success as well, but it was like lazy keto, maybe junky keto. Um, again, lost a bit of weight, but then plateaued pretty hard. And I, I wasn't tracking calories then. So about 2015, I, you know, had to kind of swallow my pride and I felt like, well, you know, Vajid, you know, you're a bright guy, but you clearly don't know what you're doing here. You need to hire somebody that does. So I hired this guy named Menno Henselmans. He's an evidence-based bodybuilder and online like physique coach. So he like literally treat, um, coaches people to get on stage in like swimsuits and be like shredded, right? So I was like, if he can't help me, then nobody can, right? So um, he's, he's more accepting of like keto and paleo type diets. So that's why I was kind of drawn to him. And, uh, he put me on what's called a PSMF. So it's like a 1200 calorie, pretty much a crash diet, all protein and fibers and veggies, um, which worked pretty well. Um, even then I, I couldn't adhere to it. Like I was just doing it Monday to Friday. And by the weekend I was just like going nuts. I would go to a wedding or a buffet and just stuff my face silly. So even despite doing that, I lost 32 pounds of fat and gained four pounds of muscle over the course of nine months, which is not super fast by any means, but for me, that was the best I've ever done on anything. So that set me down this rabbit hole of like evidence-based bodybuilding and nutrition. So since then, um, you know, there's people that I follow like Eric Helms, uh, Dr. Eric Helms, Dr. Mike Isertel, uh, Dr. Lane Norton. And what I like is they look at kind of the bulk of the evidence. So like all the meta analyses and they have like a hierarchy of what's important. And they're like, you know, the most important thing for a diet is your ability to adhere, adhere to it. So sustainability. Then after that, like total caloric intake and then things like, you know, macronutrients, protein, 
micronutrients and all that kind of stuff kind of goes down in terms of priority. So I took that framework and I've had some success with like fixing my body composition, feeling a little bit better, but then I kind of took a left turn in 2019, like you guys did with the whole veganism thing. Now I never, I've never been vegan. I never completely cut out uh, plant foods, but I also felt a little bit of guilt about the whole ethical thing. So I decided in 2019 to gradually increase uh, plant foods in my diet, especially my plant sources of protein and ramp down like meat and dairy. And I just, I felt more and more bloated. My sleep was getting worse. I was feeling more sluggish. Energy was going down by the end of 2019. And I was just like, this is, there's something wrong here. Like this isn't how it's supposed to be. Like if plants are this like panacea and it's supposed to be like the best diet for us, the healthiest diet for us, like why am I feeling worse and worse and worse? Um, so then one day I, um, so I'd heard about carnivore about a year before, but I just kind of laughed it off as completely ludicrous. And then um, at the end of 2019, I saw that Joe Rogan episode with Jordan Peterson, where he's talking about, you know, him and his daughter, they reverse like autoimmune disease, like really severe stuff. Like his daughter had like joint replacements. It was to that point, you know, uh, mood disorders, um, skin issues, all this kind of stuff. Uh, I'd lost weight, got in incredible shape, but the guy looked amazing compared to like his interviews from a few years before where he kind of looked like on the doorstep of death. So anytime people reverse like true medical disease, um, you know, because I'm so into disease prevention, it kind of sets off like alarm bells for me. So I went down the whole rabbit hole of carnivore. I, you know, um, follow a lot of content from Dr. Paul Saladino, and I'm actually currently reading his book, um, the audio book of uh, the carnivore code about all this stuff. So it was at that point that I decided that um, I'm going to start carnivore on January 10th. And I, I did it gradually. I just first cut my plant foods down by half and like more than doubled my animal foods. I added in things like liver, other organs, uh, put eggs back in, you know, fatty cuts, like eating ribeye. I love steak. I've always loved meat. And yeah, it was just, it was incredible. Like just within a few days, I mean, the list of things that improved for me, like um, the bloating went away. I dropped like five pounds in just a few days. My stomach shrank, clothes fit better. My sleep got better. Uh, waking up earlier, eating less caffeine. I mean, and then in the gym, I just had these days where I just felt like the Terminator. Like I was just, it was like the Terminator on steroids. And I've never felt like that good working out in my life, like ever. Um, the scalp itching has actually by now pretty much completely gone away, which is crazy because nothing's touched it my whole life. Um, I, I have pretty good like dental hygiene, but I've always had like mildly inflamed gums, like mild bleeding when I floss. That's gone now too. Um, aches and pains have improved. Um, the, the bowel habits. I mean, I think I was constipated eating plant, a mostly plant-based diet before. Now everything works perfectly. Um, and the most important thing for me is that I now feel like in control because before I had this, had this um, hunger that I just couldn't get rid of. I had cravings, like a huge sweet tooth. I would binge on sweets. Um, I would diet for a while then snap and just, you know, eat half a jar of Nutella at night. And that's gone. It's like my brain has been rewired and I'm like a completely different person. I don't have those cravings. My hunger is like 10% of what it used to be. Um, I'm, I've lost 10 pounds, like effortlessly, like I'm just eating till I'm not hungry anymore on carnivore. And now I'm more strict carnivore and I've just lost 10 pounds without even trying to diet. Whereas before I would have to like fight tooth and nail to like, just to lose even, you know, five, 10 pounds. Um, so I guess now, I mean, um, oh, and this tendonitis that I've had in my hand from like repetitive strain at work, um, I couldn't get rid of it with like uh, physical therapy. I even had steroids injected into the tendon sheath to get rid of it. 
um, that wouldn't fix it either. Like it came back and now without doing anything in the last three months, that's gone. I just realized the other day, like yeah. it's been gone and I've had that for like, you know, three or four years now. So I guess now I'm just at the point where I'm just trying to tweak things. Um, I've got like consultations going with Paul Saladino's team. Um, they've got me on like a strict carnivore diet. And like you guys, when I cheat, I think that's what happens. Like I, I sometimes get an immediate reaction, like things get worse overnight, but also I think for a few days afterwards, I have things kind of get kind of low grade worse. Um, so I think for me, although I wish it maybe were otherwise, um, I think probably the best thing for me is to do strict carnivore. Um, and it's worth it for me because I care most about like how I feel, my health and stuff like that. Um, I may have a treat every now and then just knowing that there may be a price to pay for having it um, in the future. But um, I think this is probably how I'm gonna end up eating for the most part is pretty strict carnivore. Um, just because it's, it's the only thing in my life that has been sustainable that I can stick to where I feel in control and just like feel better to the point where I realize that I felt abnormal for the, my whole life previously. It's like I lived my life with, you know, an arm tied behind my back. So I'm never going back to what I did before and I'm going to stick with this for sure. That's great. Um, I love hearing all of these stories as a clinician and someone that works with people from all walks of life to try to reach these same results. And I'm met often with so much hesitance because um, if I do try to encourage a more animal-based approach, the, the stigma <laughs> is high and the um, sort of societal conditioning that, like you have all said that, you know, plant-based is sort of the, the ideal health path and to uh, advise somebody to try to incorporate more animal proteins or even dare I recommend a carnivore approach to some individuals. It's so startling and shocking to some, but their course of improvement is shortened so, so vastly. Like it's, it's an amazing difference between someone that I, that I take to try to optimize on a sort of standard, you know, intuitive eating approach or well-balanced diet versus someone who's willing to trust me and let me walk them down and you know autoimmune paleo or ketogenic or a carnivore diet and see how fast everything really resolves and turns around for them so um there's definitely uh, such joy in hearing these stories for me because it also just sort of validates the the way that i wish that i could always um at work with with clients um and then for me um much like all of you guys i've, I've really tried on all the hats um at five years old, I was diagnosed with my first autoimmune disease um, off of a, a scarlet fever um, infection. I started to uh, experience these full body rashes that were like blisters. My skin would crack open and bleed um, and they would last for sort of six months at a time before maybe healing sort of 40% of the way. Um, and anytime I had another viral infection, I would have another humongous flare. And so I spent really the majority of my life um, covered in a rash that most people found really repulsive and shocking. And so from you know a mental health perspective, that weighs heavily, especially on a child. And as you can imagine, um, you know, in any good family, my parents were contacting all sorts of different specialists, getting um, referrals to, uh, you know, allopathic specialists and uh, functional specialists and, you know, everyone in between. I've seen the whole, the whole 
array of, of practitioners and no one could really help. I mean, obviously, um, you know, like my medical doctors had me on various treatments, tar treatments at one point. Um, I was taking lead baths at one point. Um, and yep. Uh, and all kinds of other things, light therapy, of course, um, dietary interventions were really never discussed, uh, from any of my rheumatologists or, dermatologists or um, GPs, although at one point a dermatologist did tell me to cut out red meat, which I think is, think is now very ironic. Um, but I listened because I was so desperate. Um, so I, at one point in my teenage years, I uh, decided to go vegan after having been vegetarian already for a couple of years. And um, I accumulated over 10 years of veganism in, in its entirety. And I became really sick towards the end. It definitely helped. It definitely, um, it definitely helped with a lot of the lifestyle conditions that I was suffering from previously. So a lot of the mental health, the depression. I was definitely overweight as a teenager. Um, you know, um, mood swings, irritability, lack of focus. I would have probably said I'd had attention deficit disorder at, at certain stages in my life that I do not, I do not have. Um, so they were definitely lifestyle and diet driven. Um, my skin never cleared. Uh, it maybe made the in-between stages a little bit better, but I was having far more viral infections um, during the time that I was vegan. So I was sick a lot. My immune system was clearly deficient and I would get strep infections pretty much every three months. Um, so every time I had a strep infection, I'd have another flare. Um, so it was clearer to me that there was something missing there. Um, and it wasn't until uh, you know I was in my 30s that I uh, I should backtrack. I had been told so many times that that uh, you know my flares were not an autoimmune disease, that, that in fact, actually, I was allergic to antibiotics. And um, every time that I had a strep infection, I took antibiotics, so everybody just wrote it off as that was the reaction I was having. So every time I did have a viral infection, I would be put on, or a bacterial infection, I would be put on another antibiotic, um, and the same thing would happen. And I was in the US, and I didn't have uh, medical insurance, and I got strep throat and I knew I was only going to be there for a few days so I knew that nothing too terrible could happen within those few days and so I decided I wasn't going to treat it which I'm not recommending I need to make sure that that's very clear uh, strep infections can be super dangerous so um, this was a risk that I wanted to take on my own to see if I would in fact have a reaction to um, to the to the infection or would I would I not have anything happen because I didn't take an antibiotic well, it was the best decision I ever made because I definitely made it through the strep infection without any issues, and I had the worst flare of my entire life. So I was able to very clearly draw a line through the possibility that it was antibiotic caused and was able to finally make sense of the fact that I had an autoimmune disease that specifically ignited after uh, bacterial and, and viral infection. Basically, my immune system was just out, out of commission during those times. Um, the, the flare was so extreme and so terrible that I, I didn't even necessarily relate it to all of the flare ups that I'd had throughout my 30 plus years suffering from this condition at this point. Um, I was covered head to toe in wounds. Um, it felt like I was literally on fire. I remember driving to my parents' house and I fell onto their kitchen floor screaming. I was, it felt like I had, had been set on fire. 
And I drove myself to emerge. I left my son with my parents and I drove myself to emerge. And the emergency doctor actually recoiled from me when I opened my gown to show him my skin. Um, so as you can imagine, an ER trained doctor usually can keep their wits about them in those um, dramatic moments, but he hadn't actually seen anything that, that severe that he couldn't um, speak to. He didn't know what was going on. Uh, so uh, within you know, the next couple of days, of course he prescribed cortisone steroids, which I knew never worked, but I was so desperate for relief um, that I just needed to be able to get dressed and put something on that wasn't like a, a, a moo-moo basically at that point. Um, so I took the, the steroids and of course they improved my symptoms, but um, uh, I knew that I was set for a rebound. And, uh, and sure enough, uh, about five days after I started, uh, after I weaned off of the steroids, my flare just came back at me like a force. So I drove myself to an emergency dermatology clinic in Toronto with my entire health history, all the research I had done, um, uh, a number of uh, cases and testimonials and, and things that I had found online because I was sure that I had figured out which autoimmune condition that I had. And um, I remember presenting all of this information to the dermatologist who at first glance couldn't tell me what I had. But once I presented her the information, of course the light bulb went over her head and she confirmed that yes, I had something called butate psoriasis, which is um, quite a, a more rare form of plaque psoriasis. It operates very differently, it looks very differently. And it's, um, again, like it, it only comes off the back end of an infection. Um, so she offered uh, the only solution for me would be to go on a biologic. And over the last few decades, I had also developed psoriatic arthritis. So in my knuckles and my hips, um, I would have severe pain, especially seasonally or um, hormonally. So around uh, you know, the time of uh, menses, I would have flares. And so I had already discussed biologics with uh, different doctors, my rheumatologist at the time, and um, I knew about the risks included there. And I was unwilling to go down that road. So I asked one last time, is there anything I can do? Is there anything I'm missing in my diet that I can take out or add in that might help me? And I was given a point blank no for the probably 50th time in my life. And I decided in that moment that enough was enough and that I was taking this fully and firmly into my own hands. So I uh, scoured the internet. This is probably going back to, I guess, 2000 and 15, I would say maybe, um, and came across the autoimmune paleo diet, which at the time was just starting to get some traction. There wasn't a lot of resources, but there were a couple preliminary blogs starting with some basic information, and I found it really interesting. To consider, I was a strict vegan at that time. So the <laughs> elimination diet, the AIP diet, is very animal-based. Um, it restricts all grains, all legumes, all nuts and seeds, um, all fruits more or less with the exception of a few low carb fruits. Um, so really I was, I was eliminating every single thing that I was eating. Um, it also eliminated eggs and dairy. So not only could I not do that as a vegan, I couldn't even do it as a vegetarian. And I said, fuck it, excuse my language, but I was uh, ready to try anything. So I bought some organ meats 
because my rational mind told me if I'm going to eat animal products, then I'm going to eat the ones that are nutrient dense so that I'm getting the most bang for my bucks. I don't want to eat them. And then when all of this is resolved, if that happens, I'll go back to being mm-hmm. vegan. And I remember taking like my first few bites of chicken liver and I was like a rabid animal. I remember literally dropping my fork and standing at my kitchen sink and eating chicken livers with my hands. Um, because I've over- I do that now. I <laughs> <laughs> Same, but for different reasons. It was honestly like I was being injected with life. Like I really do, that's how I describe it. I felt like I was, like I could feel, I could feel a sensation that went through my veins and I was anemic. So surely that- had a, a, an immediate sort of effect. Um, I was just so depleted. I was very underweight and very tired and in pain. And, you know, the list goes on and on. And within 30 days, and I will, I will put up the, the before and after photos of my skin. So there's a very clear trajectory. Day one, day seven, I believe it was in day 30 that I, that I took pictures of. And my skin was 100% clear for the first time in my entire life after 30 days of introducing animal products and getting out all of the, um, most of the anti-nutrients. I mean, I was eating still a lot of vegetables at that time, but, but definitely more than 60% of my diet at that time was, was animal products. As you can imagine, I was elated, um, and that really was the start of my journey, my own personal journey to, through um, some other animal-based diets. So uh, a strict ketogenic diet, a, just a regular paleo diet, um, a carnivore diet, and then now how I've been living for the last couple of years, which I would sort of say is probably more in the line with Alicia. Um, it's carnivore-focused, but I am able to consume some plant materials, specific vegetables um, that don't have any effect on me, but certainly uh, grains, um, most nuts and seeds, dark leafy vegetables, and um, all fruits are completely off the table for me. Uh, Otherwise, I immediately have uh, issues. My knuckles will double in size and I will start to feel a lot of pain in my hips. So, um, you know, it's, it's, we've come, I've come full circle through the whole thing. And, and now, um, I, I do that with, with clients in practice and I'm so happy to be able to provide the public with uh, a source of information that I was never able to find and, um, to just be curious enough to have explored all of those options, just like you guys. That's amazing. Yeah, thank you for sharing. Yeah, great story. Well, thank you. I think um, we do have another question that, um, or another couple of questions here that we can address from from some of our followers. Uh, one is, don't you need fiber for proper bowel movements? And I think this is a really interesting question that we can probably all add some little tidbits to. Mm-hmm. Well, I'll jump on this one first. So um, this is a question I get a lot 
from people who are curious about this way of eating. Um, and while I haven't delved into a ton of research around it, in fact, I don't think there is a ton of research around it. I've found from my own personal experience that no, you don't. Um, in fact, I found that my whole digestive process works much more efficiently now sans fiber. So um, <laughs> yeah, I don't know, so far so good. <laughs> We were talking about who was going to laugh first when we when this topic came up, and I, I think that's me. Sorry, I'm kind of <laughs> immature like that sometimes. But sorry, go ahead. Uh, yeah, that's pretty much all I had to add for that, but feel free, anyone else, to, to jump on that. <laughs> well, I'd like to just add quickly something uh, that I experienced that I found fascinating, and I've not heard of this being repeated in anyone else, so I will say that it could have just been coincidence, but I, I intuitively feel like there's more to it than that but my first round of strict carnivore was a 45 day 45 day strict strict carnivore um and uh around week four um i this is tmi so for any of you that do not like talking about poop leave the room but i had a bowel movement that actually contained worms some three wow. like two inch worms um, mm. that I never knew that I had. I didn't have, I didn't think I had symptoms of them. I didn't know that they were an issue. I'd never been tested for them because I didn't have any reason to believe that I had that problem. But I feel as though I must have starved them out. Um, they were dead, they were not alive. Um, and they were significant, you know, I'm not talking tiny little creatures, I'm talking significant sized things. Um, so I do think it's interesting because uh, I, again, I can't explain that, and I've, I've yet to meet someone else that has had that same uh, same thing happen. But I mean, we do treat parasites nutritionally and and worms nutritionally in, in various ways. And so, again, just sort of that full elimination diet really does uh, restrict the diet of the things that are living inside of you as well. And so, you know, that was a big that was a big discovery, a big aha moment for me there. Yeah. Not necessarily to do with fiber, although unless they were living off of it. But without the fiber, bowel movements are regular, no bloating, no, in fact, much better. No gas, no cramping ever. Yeah, yeah. that's actually a huge, huge win I've found. And again, people will normalize it after eating a big salad. They're like, oh, you know, I'm so bloated, ha ha ha. And I'm like, does that, you shouldn't normalize this pathology. Like it's not be like that <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely no gas for us either um the one thing i will say is for me the first i'd say six weeks on the carnivore diet because we just did it cold turkey we there was no like transition period the bowel movements were pretty wild but uh they they do regulate themselves um what i find fascinating is like yeah the first hell we all oh, sorry the first month we all know is hell it's just water coming out you're, you're adapting the adaptive phase um uh, but i don't know about you guys i'll throw it down to the group i mean i was going to the washroom at least four or five times a day um on this carnivore diet there could be days on end going on one two days and i, I have not made a single visit so it goes to say like what really if you're on a strict carnivore diet what really are we you know what really is coming out if we're absorbing everything that we need to. So the, the bathroom visits is a very interesting um, change that happens, I would say, once you are fully adaptive. So, of course, there's going to be like that first month where it's just chaos. But after that, I mean, it, it really does seem to decrease the amount of visits that you're, you're taking the, the time on the, on the poop uh, seat, right? Yeah. yeah. 
Um, yeah, I mean, just going off that, I'll add my own experience because it's interesting. Like I went carnivore initially by tapering, right? So I literally only had the one watery bowel movement. Otherwise, everything just got better. Like I just, I would go every other day and it was really easy to evacuate, much easier than before. Like, like I said, I'm pretty sure I was like straining and constipated for the most part on a plant-based diet. So, and then um, I had a period maybe a month or two ago where I kind of cheated on the carnivore diet for a few days, eating chocolate bars and stuff like that. Um, I don't know why I did that. I thought maybe, like, I'm kind of one of those people who thinks he can have his cake and, 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 eat it, and eat it too. So I wanted to see if I could do carnivore, but have these treats too. And the answer is no. Because um, then what happened was after those few days of cheating, I flipped the switch cold turkey back to carnivore. And then I experienced what you're talking about. Um, so it's totally anecdotal, but like I have two different ways that I transitioned into carnivore. One was gradual with very little disturbance in, in my bowel habits in terms of watery bowel movements. And then when I flip cold turkey, so I would say if someone's going to try this, probably better just to taper down because it, it makes sense, right? Like your gut bacteria have to turn over, the different species change in proportion, and then even your, your colon has to get better at, you know, reabsorbing water and stuff like that um, because of the change in what you're eating. Um, I guess, um, as far as research goes with fiber, I mean, I don't know a ton about it. I, I do know that too much fiber is a bad thing. Too little fiber can be a bad thing too, but I don't think there's a lot of research on people doing like a zero carb whole foods diet or very low fiber diet, um, in terms of what their outcomes are. Right. And I think they're starting to do stuff like that. Like I've heard there's like a carnivore study out of Harvard that's being done. So hopefully we'll get more info because there's a big difference between what we're doing and what a typical meat eater does. Right. And like Paul Saladino talks about this, it's like the unhealthy user bias. So when you have, you know, um, like a survey, a diet survey for like tens of thousands of people and you ask them what they ate, you're going to get kind of a couple of different groups of people. You'll get people that eat meat, but what do a lot of meat eaters eat? They're eating like hamburgers and pizza with pepperoni and like all sorts of other junk food. Maybe they're they're drinking more, not exercising as much because they're not as mindful about their health. So you, you get what's called unhealthy user bias. And then we pull out these like correlational things that, you know, they get earlier heart disease or whatever, colon cancer. So then meat unfairly gets demonized when really it's probably the other junk that they're eating, or it could be the other junk that they're eating. We don't know for sure, but that's definitely a possibility. And then you look at people that eat more plants, more fiber, and they'll say, oh, well, their outcomes are better. Like they're living longer, um, they're getting less disease, but we forget that they also have other behaviors that may be contributing to that. Like they're not drinking as much, not smoking as much, they're exercising more, they're doing more mindfulness, maybe getting more sun, more activity outdoors. So we have to be really careful about interpreting the research um, like that. Because um, I think that some of the recommendations can potentially in the long run cause some people some, some difficulties and harm as far as disease goes. Um, as we've seen, like some of us here have had things improve by actually eating more meat and less fiber. Um, and I guess just the last couple of things about that is just, um, I've been you know following some of these sort of YouTube videos um, and reading Paul Saladino's book. And if you look at comparative anatomy, like our GI tracts are actually built more like a wolves, like a carnivores we're not built like, um, you know, cows, like ruminants. And they have multiple stomachs. They regurgitate their food to chew it again because they've got a lot of fiber to break down to get the nutrients out. And then their colons, I think, are longer too. And they can ferment fiber. And we can't really do that as well as them. So 
that's just another reason why, like, I think that maybe this way of eating is actually what we're more designed to eat or, and what we thrive off. I completely agree. I think way back millions of years ago, we probably resembled more uh, gorillas and we ate plants, but we've adapted. So I think our bodies have changed a lot since then. And like you said, we, we resemble more carnivorous animals. Um, just a little side note, I don't know much about it, but um, I look, we look um, up Paul Saladino quite often and he had this video on YouTube and he mentioned that the fiber myth began in the 1950s and 1960s. Some guy did like a study similar to Ansel Keys and the cholesterol study. And that study shaped the entire nutritional food guide for years to come. So it's definitely something that I'm interested in looking into more, but- um, It just goes to show a lot of things that just stick. Yeah. And it's like, it's up to us to really be questioning it, learning it, understanding where it's coming from, to dive a little bit deeper and not necessarily just take what we're told all the time, right? I think that's the whole concept of being open-minded and constantly searching for more information. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of this, a lot of this stuff gets dogmatic, right? Like it's just unquestioned. Eat your vegetables. Eat your vegetables. Yeah. Eat your vegetables, right? But we never question it, and maybe we should to remain objective with all the new information coming our way. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, how about will you eat this way forever, or will you introduce some fruits or whole foods or other non-processed carbs back into your diet at some point? I mean, I think. Everyone probably knows that Alicia and I are a little more loosey goosey, but maybe the other the others want to uh, chime in here about sort of like how you feel this will go for the rest of your lives. Yeah, we'll jump on that quickly. Um, well, we always have discussions about you know what does the future look like in terms of vacationing, travel, if not necessarily the, the foods that we eat now are not available wherever we may be. But the one thing for sure that we know, we've talked about, we will probably never eat processed foods ever again. Um, just knowing what we know now, there's no way that we ever see ourselves reintroducing that. Um, we probably would not reintroduce anything that's cooked with like vegetable oils or has vegetable oils, uh, knowing what we know now. Um, if you guys want to learn a little bit more about, check out the meters page on Instagram. There's a lot of cool information about the whole story of how, you know, the, the rise of Crisco and Ansel Key studies. Um, vegetable oils are everywhere. So that's probably one of the, the key things that we always advocate to cut off in the beginning. It's no good for us guys. That thing was like grease for like machinery. You don't need that in your body. Please stay away from those. They're not even vegetable oils, they're seed oils, but that's a whole different story. Um, nothing refined, but we did talk about, I mean, we have no desire to introduce um, any carbs or fruits at the moment, but we're not opposed to it. I mean, if we're on vacation and they're there, uh, we probably would probably try to keep something keto friendly or, um, I don't know, in a situation I would say where we are not able to feed the, the constant animal fats, the meat organs, and everything that we would have only then, but really there's no desire. I mean, we look up every day to what we're eating next and how we're eating this way. We love the diet. I mean, I've never loved food so much until we introduced this diet that personally I could say, and maybe Petra, you can comment as well, we have no desire to change the way we're eating now. So I, it would be strictly if like, that food is no longer becomes available and we need to make certain adjustments yeah at that point what are we willing to compromise well then maybe a few foods a few carbs a few uh keto friendly low yeah. oxalate foods that we'd introduce right i um i also like have been seeing the strong sisters on instagram they're introducing carbs and um that's cool like whatever works for you the only hesitation that i have i'm not opposed to seasonal veggies and fruits but i'm very skeptical about gmos like i 
I've gone down the rabbit hole so much and I'm like, what, what vegetable is really safe when you, you look at like its origin and what it was like hundreds of years ago, it's like on steroids now, right? Like our strawberries supposed to be that big. Um, I, I don't know, avocados, they didn't look like that years ago. So it depends like how, how far do you want to take it? But definitely um, I'm not closing the door on seasonal vegetables and the fruits down the line. Maybe we can grow them ourselves on a farm or something. That'd be pretty cool. Um, okay. I mean, I guess I'll add uh, to that and just sort of my own sort of closing thoughts on all this stuff uh, is related to this. So, I mean, my two big things are like research and self-experimentation. So like when you look at the research, the, the body of evidence, there's a few things that are like very clear and I try to stay in that framework. So like I said, adherence is number one and then like having a certain calorie amount and then obviously macros and micros. So I know for me that um, that has gotten me success, but I also know research has a lot of flaws that's especially inherent to kind of diet-based research uh, sorry, um, diet surveys, like that kind of research, epidemiology, right? So um, you've got like that healthy user bias, unhealthy user bias I mentioned, and then correlation versus causation. Um, that can be an issue. Even people recalling what they ate for these dietary surveys can be a problem, right? So the way I look at it is like the research is, um, the evidence base is like a good starting point for like the average person. But then as you guys know, there's like a bell curve, right? So um because they look at averages for research, it blurs out a lot of the variation in the population. So if you're one of the outliers, what's going to work for the average population member may not be good for you, right? So because of that, like I really value self-experimentation and that's kind of where I'm at here. Like I've taken all the stuff I've learned from the evidence and I'm fitting carnivore into that so I can stick to it. Um, my calorie deficit is there because I'm clearly losing weight. Um, my performance in the gym is fine. So I'm not losing muscle doing this. Um, from my readings, I'm getting all the vitamins and minerals I need. So at this point, it's just kind of like, like I'm feeling good um, and I'll experiment and I'll like add things in here or there. But my main goal is to continue to feel good. And um, I guess I'll just see in the future if things make me feel bad, then I'll have to keep them out of my diet, except for maybe certain social occasions or traveling, knowing that there's a price to pay for it. And, and I, I just keep in mind, one of my old trainers used to have this mentality about diet that I think is really good. Because a lot of people, they get into this mentality where like they have to do things perfect. And if they make one mistake, they're just like, F it, I'm gonna just go off the rails and just eat whatever stuff my face. And it's never productive, right? That's actually really counterproductive. So he said, you know, think of your dietary choices as like, um, like okay, bad, better, uh, and then best. And it's sort of like a spectrum, right? So it's if you can't, if I can't stick to strict carnivore, which is what I think is best for me, I can be okay with the trade-off of doing something slightly less optimal. So that's what I'm going to kind of look at it as. So I don't go off the rails and this is like a sustainable thing I can do for my life. Cause they've shown that if you can stick to a diet and you can achieve a good healthy body composition and get all your nutrients, that's actually correlated with like longevity and like a lack of these diseases appearing in your life. So that's Kind of my thoughts on whether or not i'm gonna add stuff back in yeah and for me um i i share all of the same thoughts that you that you just expressed um one thing for me that i i find especially as a parent um that does sort of steer some of my decision making is um that 
um, like circumstance or experience is really important and especially for children. And so, for example, my, my son made applesauce from scratch after an apple orchard school trip and he was super proud of it and, and, you know, had jars that he made and he wanted me to try it. And in my mind, I so desperately wanted to say no, because I know that fruit is something that just does not serve me, but I, could see the value that it would bring him for me to have a spoonful of applesauce. And I think it's important to give yourself enough freedom to make decisions like that. So it might not be this applesauce your son gives you. It might be the slice of wedding cake at a wedding of your sibling or something else like along those lines that is sort of a, a, a social experience that means a lot to the other people. And I don't think that we should be doing that all the time. I think that that's a slippery slope and that um, it leads to a lot of compromising of, of, our, uh, uh, of our wants and needs and goals. But I think that um, it's important to just remain logical and open-minded and flexible so that you can um, in a moment make that decision with the information that you have, knowing that it isn't the optimal thing, but that it doesn't have to lead to, um, you know, like that, that going off the rails mentality. It's just a, it's a bite. It's a something that gave somebody else joy. Um, and so, yeah, I'm just really not about the dogma. And so my, my life and diet will evolve with uh, how, how I feel best. And if, if that somehow changes in a few years to not include the same things that I'm eating now, then that's how it will be. Uh, I just have a really hard time imagining that there would be any way to feel any better than I do right now. Right. Sure. Yeah. I'm, I'm pretty much the exact same. Um, I, I do consider this to be a lifestyle choice. However, I do have the occasional off-plan meal. It's usually more keto-based with the incorporation of like some berries or avocado or maybe a salad, but not usually. Um, but other than that, I've never really been big on like fruit or vegetables for that matter. So I can't imagine I would actively reintroduce, reintroduce those into my diet. Um, and the same goes for other whole foods and non-processed carbs. Like for me, I feel best eating this way. Um, and it's easy and I love it. And, um, you know, just having the flexibility to be able to eat off plan if I so choose every once in a while for those special moments, kind of like Kay was mentioning, um, then that's awesome. And that's, that's what really makes it sustainable for me long term. I was needed there. I just wanted to make sure that um, everyone has expressed everything that they wanted to say and that we're not missing on any key points for any of those questions. Everyone feeling pretty good about that? Um, I guess I just have a couple other things to add um, really quick. Just like the gas thing you guys were talking about, I had the same experience, like no gas anymore. Um, and then uh, I think it's also important for people to understand that the type of meat that we're eating is like, it typically is going to be like fatty cuts of meat, right? Like people have this idea that, okay, lean is good, but you know, a lot of the essential like fatty, um, fat soluble vitamins are, are in the fat, right? And so you need some of that too. So we're, I mean, I'm eating a lot of ribeye. And you get fat from marrow and stuff like that. So just so that people understand, it's not like um, a chicken breast diet. That's not what we're doing. It's mainly like ruminant yeah. meat, like, you know, lamb and cows and beef and stuff. Yeah. And that's actually, if I've tried to eat a chicken breast at any point over the last couple of years, I find it to be repulsive. Yeah. It's not appealing anymore. Like I want to have beef and ribeyes all the time, not, not chicken. Yeah. Yeah. Real cooked really chicken and beef fat. 
<laughs> oh yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah. Actually, yeah, or like in in any fat, really duck fat. Oh, it's amazing. Oh, but with the so skin good. on, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that yeah. religious otherwise. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. All right, guys. Well, I think that that sums up our first episode, and um, it was a lot of fun. And I hope that those watching found something interesting uh, about our stories. Um, and I hope that you're curious for more. And if you have any questions and there are certain subjects that you want to want us to dig deeper on, I mean, this was really like a, a very fundamental Cole's Notes sort of introductory episode so that you guys can get to know us. But we're really happy to dig deeper and go into the research and provide answers to um, more specific questions. So send your questions to any of us at our uh, social media handles that will be listed below. And um, I think all of us are mostly active on Instagram, so you can find us all there. And we'll catch you on the next episode. Yeah. All right, guys. Have a good one. Nice seeing you. You too. Cheers. Bye.